0: As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was looking for the kingdom of God. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body in order that he might bury it in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night, was with Joseph. Together, they took the body of Jesus down from the cross and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, along with a mixture of myrrh and aloes that Nicodemus had brought with him, weighing about 75 pounds. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Joseph placed Jesus in this tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He then rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and went away. Good
1: morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Scott. So good to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday. A few announcements before we begin. Um, After the service for little disciples, there's an indoor egg hunt because uh, the elements aren't cooperating kind of over in this area, and they'll be about 10 minutes after the service. Uh, And to facilitate people just kind of hanging out, we've asked two vendors to be here. The donuts, I'm sorry if you're on a diet, they're ridiculously yummy. Uh, God made donuts, we know that. And then um, (laughs) the Korean food truck is actually some friends from another church, Epic Life Church, and they're using the Korean food and then they're putting, they're also building a coffee truck to take to farmer's markets around Western Washington as an outreach for the gospel. And so they, uh, the food trucks, people are purchasing stuff, uh, definitely the Seoul, Kitchen guys, say hello to them, uh, we're big fans of their mission, and then we've got a photo booth down here, uh, which is just free, we know that we don't always wear ties at, uh, at church on Sunday, you can come back next week and see Scott in jeans and a t-shirt, um, but if you, know, you and your roommates, you and a friend, you and yourself, if you want to take a picture, that's here as just a gift. Uh, you know, someone said, well, we don't want it to be a carnival. We don't. We do want it to be a celebration. And so the picture is just meant to be a gift. And people will be hanging out. There's also just the normal coffee and muffins. So after the service, really hope that the joy of resurrection uh, inspires you to connect with one another. Hey, I've seen you at church before. What's your name? Just telling stories. I mean, that's really the point of God's body is to be in relationship with one another on this great trajectory of faith. Will you bow your heads and pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to earth to live amongst us and to die for us. And this morning, Lord, this resurrection morning of all Sundays of the year, Lord, this is Celebration Sunday. When, when, Jesus, you beat death and you conquered the ones that tried to conquer you. And so in a world that feels dark and discouraging, Lord, we have your light. We have it living inside of us, encouraging us, Lord, moving us, moving us to be people more like you, moving us in the small actions we take, that the, the sum of those small things is a really large result. Lord, continue to lead us closer to your heart. Open our ears and our eyes as we open your word this morning. In your great name we pray, amen. Well, um, today our message is is a simple one. Uh, I would love to spend all morning preaching to you, uh, but they've hemmed me in pretty tight. Uh, But uh, we have an encouraging uh, message today called From Fear to Faith, From Fear to Faith. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you've had a really small role in a really big story You ever ever have that feeling, like a really small role in a huge story? About 15 years ago, my wife and I moved to California, and for a season, uh, as I was trying to find work, I was an extra. I don't know if you know what an extra is, but we moved to LA, and, and I got a job as an extra. So those are the people in film and movies that literally are just the background people. So every street scene, every coffee shop scene, those are paid actors hanging out in the background, Kind of, you know, doing nothing, actually. And so I got a job as an extra, and I was thrilled. And, you know, the first kind of big call-out as an extra, there was a show called Allie McBeal. This was September. They were shooting their Christmas special and drove down to Studio City and and remembering the role was tiny. I was literally going to just be part of the background. I was so nervous, though. I was nervous because I'm, you know, kind of a country kid from out in the sticks, and here I am heading down to Studio City and and whatever, and we waited all day, and then they brought us into the the scene. There was like this bar scene, and people were singing, and we were just kind of standing in the background, and at the end of the day, we were there for like 12 hours. I'm like, man, that was so tiny. That was so insignificant, and then You know, a couple months later, the episode aired, and we shared it with people, and people were like, oh, I'll tape it. There used to be these things called VCRs, and there was tapes, and kids will explain it to you later, so they taped it. And then people started calling, like, 35 minutes in, I hit pause, I see your face in the background, is that you? And I'm like, yeah, it's tiny, How like, no, you're on TV. You're a hero, you know, and I'm like... Yeah, all right. Well, that's great, you know. And, uh, you know, it was really small. But after a season, I moved on to other things. But I remember thinking, well, it was bigger than I thought it was going to be. Like, just to get that opportunity. Uh, From there, I worked in film. And then uh, for a season, for a couple years, I was a high school English teacher at this little high school called Christina Valley High School. And I walked onto the campus. And you've not recently walked onto the campus of a high school. It's very intimidating. I was full of fear. I did not have an advanced teaching degree. I did not have years and years of study behind me. I I thought, you know, I I do care deeply about students and hope that the truth of the gospel penetrates their life. And so I'm going uh, to teach English, but I can just go with Christ inside me. Small things. Every day, walking up to school, we lived down the street. I would walk to school. I'd pray, God, take these small things and make something happen And at the end of many days, I felt tremendously discouraged. If you know a teacher in your life, if you are a teacher, encourage them. They're missionaries in our modern context, and it's hard work. So I would leave, and I'm like, God, you're not doing anything here. I'm here trying to love kids. I'm teaching English. I'm coaching. Heather and I are leading Young Life. We're talking about Jesus. It doesn't feel like anything's happening, tiny things. A couple of years later, we moved back to Washington and on the last day, we kind of we surveyed what God had done over a couple of years in relationship with a whole bunch of students and there was massive impact that happened, not because of a personality or my work ethic, no, because God took our small steps and created big changes. Small things become massive impact in God's economy and today we get the Easter story through this kind of unique lens, a unique perspective. We're going to be talking about Joseph of Arimathea. And if you're a kid, you have a kid book that tells the story. Uh, we created these great storybooks, and you can flip through and there's pictures that tell the story of Joseph. Joseph of Arimathea is, is part of a select group of people because he's in all four Gospels. We know that the Gospels are the four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell different perspectives of the life of Christ. Why is that? Well, because if I handed four video cameras out to you and I said, hey, go tell the story of Russell Wilson or of the mayor or somebody in your school, you would have four unique points of view. And so the four gospels tell four unique points of view. But this guy, this Joseph, he's in all four stories. And he's the secret disciple because he's full of fear. But it's super interesting because there's three Joseph's in the Bible, right? Joseph of the Old Testament. We're not going to talk about him today, but incredible. And then in the New Testament, there's two Josephs. Think about it. Joseph, the father of Christ, who, who when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Joseph laid the baby in a manger, likely in a barn, likely that would have been a cave outside of town of Bethlehem, never saying a word Gospel Matthew tells us that God tells him what to do, and Matthew, the father of Jesus, just does it. And now Joseph of Arimathea, at the end of Christ's life, the Gospels tell the story that he took the body of Christ and he laid him in the tomb. Never says a word. An interesting place to start our resurrection message because he lays him in the tomb not even knowing what God would do to resurrect yet, but powerful because small things become massive impact in the kingdom of God. And Joseph, he kind of becomes emblematic for us because Joseph is the one that put Jesus into the cave where then God brings new life. And so we're going to be really practical and kind of short. We're going to look at the life of Joseph and his role. We're going to look at the role of God in this narrative of resurrection. And then we're going to look at what's our role? What's our role? So let's start with Joseph Arimathea. And again, kids, you can follow along in your books. Who is this guy, Joseph? John 19 says, Joseph was a secret disciple for fear of the Jews. that's interesting. He's part of the ruling class. He's comfortable. He has means. He has privilege. And something about Jesus has triggered him, but he's a disciple in fear. Because faith is scary sometimes, Right? And faith is risky sometimes. And even for those of us that prescribe to faith when we actually are called to have faith in the midst of the cancer analysis or in a broken relationship or in betrayal, we can say we have faith in Jesus, but it it costs something and it's risky. And here's this hero of the faith that does this amazing thing, but he has fear too, and it's important to remember when Joseph takes the body and lays him in the tomb, that doesn't feel that significant to us, but it's, it's a huge divide socially. He crosses a huge divide. He, because in the, in the first world there in, in Jerusalem, Joseph was a first class flyer. And Jesus and most of his comrades, they were, they were coach people, right? I don't know about you, I'm a coach guy. All right. So recently we went on vacation, and like we're back in coach, and it, you know there's kids crying, and they hand you like a little sack of peanuts, you know, and your your knees are here, and you're, you know, and there's like feels like there's chickens running around and stuff, and then you can see first class, right? They're all so happy up there. There's champagne and halibut on on fine china, and you just wanna you wanna just be there. And then they close the curtain. Sorry, you're in coach. But Joseph, he was a first-class guy. But something about his experience of Christ, he said, you know, I, I'm going to go take that body and lay it in the tomb. I'm going to side with Jesus. It would have been a tremendously risky. It was, for him, a profession of faith. He was saying to all the other rulers, I don't care who sees me anymore, I, I'm going I'm to seek out this Jesus. And so on Good Friday, which when we celebrate the death of of Christ, that should have been the great discouragement, something happens there, something about Christ on the cross moves Joseph of Arimathea from this secret disciple in fear to being a man of faith. Joseph moves from fear to faith. And that becomes a very helpful paradigm for us in the movement of our own journeys. We need to be men and women, young and old, moving in our hearts, places of fear to places of faith. It was an act of faith for Joseph to take the body down. Why? Well, in first century Israel, it was to to dignify a a member of your family who died. Even on crucifixion, you would take the body and and to lay it in in a cave. But for Roman occupied Jerusalem, it was different because for the Romans, they would, they would crucify criminals and then they would leave the bodies up to be pecked and ravaged and as and, and a sign and a symbol that the, the empire would not be destroyed. But Joseph here on Good Friday, on the eve of the Sabbath, as the sun is going down, goes and says to Pilate, I will take that body down. And then he goes and he lays Jesus in a tomb. And I recognize there that, you know, those words roll off our mouth, but if you think about what actually took to remove Jesus of Nazareth from the cross of which he hung, I mean, you want to talk about messy, you want to talk about bloody, you want to talk about horrible imagery, Joseph said something about that Christ is real and I want to go, and I don't care who sees me like this. I don't care if I, get, if I get his blood on me. I want to go and lay him in a tomb that's difficult. Like for me and my family, when my kids get slivers, slivers, I'm like, go and talk to your mother, all right, because I don't want to deal with blood. I would make a horrible doctor. If you ever fall and you're bleeding, I will come and I will pray with you. I'll probably have my eyes closed, and then I'll say, can we get somebody with some training in here? But not this Joseph. He goes and takes Jesus and lays him in the tomb. And then it's his own tomb. He lays him in the cave near the cross where he himself had purchased. And one of the gospel accounts said that he had carved with his own hands. And a, a tomb that had never been inhabited before in a city as ancient as Jerusalem had to be valuable. We don't know how much. But he and Nicodemus, they come with 75 pounds of fine herbs to lay on the body. It's a ridiculous and an invaluable amount. Joseph had money and he had means, but he was fearful. But something about Christ on the cross moves him, moves him from fear to faith. And that's deeply, deeply significant. Because he encounters Christ's truth and beauty and meaning. And he said, I want my life to be response. I want to be present, because hear me here really carefully, friends. Love requires presence and not perfection. Love requires presence and not perfection. Joseph, a week before, a, a hidden disciple who maybe could have even intervened on Jesus' behalf, but love requires presence and not perfection, So if we're gathered here this morning mindful of the places where I've I've sinned in my life, I'm mad at my parents, my parents are mad at me, Uh, we're parents and we're fighting, I'm not a parent and I've got this this unperfect past in my dating relationship and in my work relationship, we're not perfect. Why do we think we need to be perfect? The gospel says be present, not perfect. That same vacation where I had my little first class well, wander less. We got to Hawaii a couple months ago, and it was just this amazing vacation. I've got four kids, and, and we we're able to just play in the sand, and all of us just be kids again, and it's, it's paradise. They say you can't live in Hawaii, and I'd like to prove them wrong. I'm saying, Bethany Maui, who's in? We're, we're gonna do this thing. Okay, see me after the service. So we're like a day in, we go and we stand at the edge of the beach and we've been playing and running around. I've got this six-year-old little girl and she looks at me, unprompted, says, Papa, what do you want me to do when I grow up? And I'm like, we're looking at paradise. I'm like, honey, nothing. Like, shh, like we're, it's paradise, like don't, don't ruin this, you know, and, she, and then she kind of tugs at me some more and said, but Papa, who do you want me to marry I'm like, sweetheart, you're six years old. I'm not waiting for you to become anything else, to be with anyone else. I love you for who God made you to be. The idea of her earning my adoration in the midst of paradise was just, it was silly. And friends, many of us in the room, many of us, we waste paradise not understanding that love of Christ only calls us to be present. Not perfect. Joseph models this, and he, he takes Jesus, and he lays him in the tomb. And the second point of our outline is that God's role is to bring life into dead places. Luke 24, on, on the first day of the week, this is the resurrection story, at early dawn, they came to the tomb prepared with spices and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb and when they entered they did not find the body and angels said why do you seek the living one among the dead he's not here but he has risen it's amazing because joseph becomes a star in the gospel narratives and all he did was lay jesus in the tomb and god did the saving work God entered that tomb. God entered the garden. God breathed his ruah, his spirit life back into that dead body of his son and gave him life. And all we need to do, all we need to do is lay stuff in the tomb. Jesus, I want to walk with you. I lay my life in the tomb. Jesus, I already walk with you, but I'm tired of my anger or my self-destructive habits, or the way this relationship is killing us. Jesus, I'm gonna lay it in the tomb. We don't have to be the savior. We worship one. When we lay things in the tomb and say, God, do your saving work, small things, massive results. God is the savior of our hearts, friends, of our brokenness. And I'm not just talking about our salvation story then. I'm talking about the each and the every day. Joseph just did his part and God did the rest because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, I'm still discovering right up to this moment that it's only by living completely in this world that one learns to have faith. I mean, living unreservedly in life's duties and problems and successes and failures, experiences and perplexities, in so doing, we throw ourselves completely into the arms of God. Not waiting for the next world, but living completely in this world today. A world with bombs in Europe and destruction in our community and sin in our hearts. And Jesus saying, you don't have to be perfect, but be present. I want to move you from places of fear into a deeper faith where your small moments matter. Joseph understood that, laboring with With the weight of Jesus and laying the dead body in the tomb, unsure of how the resurrection would unfold, but trusting that God was up to something. About 15 years ago, I went to, uh, 20 years ago now actually, I went down to Guatemala on a bit of a study tour and traveling around. There's this little town of Quetzaltenango. And I met this person in a bar and she said, you know, I work at an orphanage and we really just need people to come and play with the kids. Can you come and play with the kids? The kids don't have enough adult supervision. We don't even have supplies. We're out of diapers. Just come and play. And I said, I can come and play. Because quite often, friends, it's small things. It's small things that God will set in front of you and they're enough So I go down to the orphanage and I'm greeted with all these, I mean, I walk in and kids are just hanging on me. They're so desperate for the love of another human being. And so we played, we played soccer and we, you know, we're having a good time. And then the lady from the orphanage said, let's go down to the park. We don't ever get to go there. There's not enough people, but we have enough people today. Let's walk down to this park. We walked all the way down the park and we played. Small things, massive results. And then walking back, I had this little boy on my shoulders. Again, keep in mind, no supplies, no diapers. They had nothing. At the end of every day, they would just take off their clothes and and then do a wash and give them a new set of clothes for the next day. I'm walking with this little boy, and he falls asleep on me. And I'm a college-age student, but God is shaping my heart and this, sometimes when I tell the story, people think it's funny. It's not funny. He is asleep on me. He, he has an accident. He gets wet. I get wet. And I'm walking through the streets. And people are like, oh, that must have been horrible. It was one of the most beautiful things my college years taught me. About being open and available for what God wants to do in the small things of our life. Our church is still involved in Costa Rica and Rwanda and Uganda. God is continuing to teach me about loving others in his name. The reality is, like Joseph, our fulfillment comes when we learn we all have a part to play. And so in conclusion this morning, I've got just a question for you. What is your part you play in this grand narrative of faith? I recognize we gather under a large tent this morning. There are deeply faithful and some disillusioned or uncomfortable with faith. But every one of us has a role. What is God speaking to you this Easter morning? In what places might God be asking you to bring him the stuff of your life so that he can put life there And, and encourage your small roles into this great narrative of faith? What is God asking you to do this Easter morning? I think about Joseph on Sunday afternoon or Monday morning going back to the place where he laid Jesus and seeing the cloth that had been wrapped around him, laid, and and the pounds and pounds and pounds of herbs, and to just say, his body's gone. And then the cross is is empty. And you could just almost imagine Joseph of Arimathea just walking out of that tomb into a life of faithfulness. Places that were fear, now faith places that had known death, now knowing life. Him totally changed by the saving work of Jesus Christ. What kind of stories would he tell the rest of his life? As we close here this morning, I'm gonna give two invitations in just a moment. For some of us, we, we want to, to walk with Jesus in a new way. We, we're here this morning, and this either is news or it's something that our heart forgot a long time ago. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond because all of us are part of this long narrative of faith and it starts with just simply making room in our hearts, saying yes in the one small thing. And for others of us that consider ourselves disciples on the journey already, we're we're loaded down. Our hands are holding the the anger and the lust and the confusion and the anxiety and the the labor. And, And this morning, Christ is just asking us to open our hands that he would be the Lord of our whole life. Would you bow your heads and pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for bringing your son, Jesus, to this earth, to live and to come alive out of that cave. And Father, some of us this morning wanna start again. Some of us have forgotten that we're still part of this story and we're not perfect. But we want to be present to you. And we want you to do a new work in our hearts, Lord, that this morning would be a significant step, something new. And Lord, with our heads bowed in, in, in just a moment, I'm gonna to count to three. And for people to say, I, I wanna start over with Jesus. I wanna be present to him. I want the small things of a small beginning in my heart. I, I want that to be real today. I'm gonna to ask you in the count of three to raise your hands so that you can show the world and show God himself that you're ready to say yes. One. Lord God, we know that you're stirring people's hearts. We know that you're the author and perfecter of faith who knew brokenness and yet never succumbed to the brokenness of the world. And there is our hope. But some of us want to start that journey in new ways this morning too. And finally, when I count to three, I'm going to ask if you want a, if you want a taste of Jesus' life, if you want him to be inhabiting your heart in new ways, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand with our heads bowed. Three. Would you raise your hand if you want to start over with Jesus, if you want him to inhabit your heart. And friends, with our heads bowed, I need you to know that there are hands all over this room, people saying, I want that life. And Jesus sees your hands, and they are young, and they are old, and they are men, and they are women, and Jesus is doing a work in hearts this morning. We see you. You can drop your hands for the rest of us, Lord, as we continue to pray Lord, we've been following for a while and yet we know there's places of fear. Lord, move us to faith. I'd invite everyone in the room with our heads bowed that we just open our hands on our knees where we sit, that we would open our hands, Lord, that this would be a symbol of the stuff we've been clinging to which is starting to, to strangle out our life. There's places of darkness and places of sin and and places, Lord, that we just want to confess right now. We've been holding on too tightly. We've been striving. Take these open hands, Lord. We lay these things, these things that we've been carrying, we lay them in the tomb. God, you're the author and perfecter of all faith. Make us new again. Take these things. Move us from fear to faithfulness you've told us that the small things matter. Give us a purpose in our heart and a joy in our chest and your life each and every day as we testify to your great love. In your name we pray, amen. The work is God's, not ours. The only responsibility we have is just to lay stuff in the tomb. Will you stand with us as we continue in song?